Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Private Club Radio. Big show today as we discuss some interesting legislation happening in Washington, D.C. and why you should be paying attention. Joe Trager from the National Club Association will be on to discuss with me the efforts the NCA has made as well as the legislation they're focusing on in 2020, as well as give us a little Iowa caucus update. As we know, today's the big day in Iowa, which will set the tone for the rest of the election season. Now, after that, we're going to chat with Mike Stachura and Mike Johnson of Golf Digest to talk about the Golf Digest hot list. I had this conversation with them at the PGA show in Orlando. It was fascinating. I learned a lot about how they choose the clubs that go on the Golf Digest hot list and just some interesting fun facts along the way in terms of equipment and golf technology. So if you weren't able to make the show, didn't get to see what all the new manufacturers rolled out, these two have put together an incredible list as they do every single year on some of the equipment that you should be on the lookout for. So we chat with them to find out what goes into the hot list. Very cool. By the way, my favorite piece of technology or equipment from the PGA show was the Garmin S62 watch. This GPS golf watch, to me, just might replace my rangefinder. I did a video on YouTube about this last week. A lot of people have tuned in to watch it and ask questions about it. What's really unique about this particular device for me is that it becomes your personal caddy. So after you play five rounds with the device, it tracks all of your shots and analyzes them, averages them. And then when you go out and play a new course that you haven't played before, or even your home course, it suggests a club that you should hit from every distance, which I think is super cool. I've been wearing this thing for about a week now. Let me tell you, first of all, I haven't had to charge the battery once, which for me is a huge win. I wear an Apple Watch quite a bit when I'm not wearing my normal watch. And that Apple Watch lasts probably a day and a half maximum. This Garmin S62 device I've worn since I reviewed the piece on Tuesday and still I think I've got 40% battery. And that's after playing a round of golf with it as well. So... It's a really, really cool piece of technology. If you haven't watched the video, please go to YouTube and watch it because I think it'll blow your mind. And that's the stuff that's coming down the pipe here for the golf industry. I think you got to take a look at what's happening because that will also signal to you what business changes and what wants and needs of your members will change here in the next few years as well. Pretty cool device. All right, without further ado, we're going to bring on Joe Trogger to discuss legislation and the National Club Association's efforts in Washington to help our clubs. Here we go. And now it's time for Club Perspectives, presented by the National Club Association. Well, welcome to another edition of Club Perspectives, presented by the National Club Association. I'm here with Joe Trogger. And Joe, how are you? Happy New Year to you, sir. Happy New Year to you. I'm doing well. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good, good, to, good to be with you again here in the new year. First thing I want to talk to you about is you know, just get some updates on 
your government relations efforts in 2019 and looking forward here into 2020, what, what you're look, taking a, a good hard look at. So uh, let's first start off with 2019. How did that end up for us? Well, you know, I think there's been um, generally a, a sense, um, you know, around the country that not a whole lot uh, got done. But uh, I think that's actually the contrary is true. We actually were able to get quite a few things done uh, toward the end of the year in 2019. Um, and those are things that directly affect uh, private clubs. So, um, you know, I look at 2019 as a as a pretty successful year. Um, so, you know, some of the things that were we were following and pushing to, to get completed were things like the health insurance tax, which is a um, basically a surtax on any health insurance product that's sold in the United States. That was part of the uh, Affordable Care Act back in 2009. That was uh, that's slated to go into effect actually in 2020, but um, in 2021, it's fully repealed. Um, so that is, uh, you know, a significant savings on, on health care uh, insurance policies that uh, the, the uh, National Club Association was pushing to uh, have repealed. So that was repealed. Um, in addition to that, there's a, a, a another health insurance tax called the Cadillac tax, and the Cadillac tax is, is, a, is a tax on uh, what's called high-value health plans. Um, so any value to your health plan above a certain level, um, and that would include you know things like the flexible savings accounts, health savings accounts, those kinds of things, um, as well as a, just a comprehensive um, health insurance policy, uh, there would be a 40% surtax on um, the value of the plan above a certain level. And uh, to give you an idea of how much that affects the healthcare system, um, repealing that would, would, uh, was basically a, a cost the federal government in, in tax revenues uh, almost $200 billion over 10 years. So it was a significant tax that was going to be placed on uh, health coverage that really wouldn't have gone to pay for any doctor visits, surgeries, uh, you know, lab tests or anything like that. It was basically just an added cost under the health care system. That was fully repealed um, at the end of the year as well. So those are two um, items that were you know, directly affect uh, private clubs to, that provide health insurance to their employees um, that uh, over time will uh, hopefully help tame the cost of health health coverage uh, in the years ahead. Um, also, uh, we're looking at the H2B program. Um, we had some language included in the appropriations bill, and uh, we're looking for additional additional visas um, and uh, increasing the 66,000 up to 96,000. Uh, we were successful in getting that done uh, last year, and we're looking to to do that again this year in 2020. So that's something that needs to, the, Joe, that's something that needs yeah. to happen every year then? They need to uh, change that or raise that criteria every single year? Yeah, well, the Department of Homeland Security has the authority to release uh, an additional thirty thousand H two B visas every okay, year. Um, and what we what we had happen last year was the Department of Homeland Security waited until really the last minute. And so, what we're trying to do now um, is get the Department of Homeland Security recognized that you know these visas are needed um, and release those additional thirty thousand much earlier than they did last year. And and I think we're getting some significant bipartisan support on both the House and Senate side. Uh, I know there was a letter that was sent by a group of uh, bipartisan senators to the Department of Homeland Security, as well as uh, a letter from the House side uh, urging the Department of Homeland Security to release those visas uh, on a more timely basis than they did last year. So um, we're, we're you know, marshalling the, the support uh, for that program and uh, really trying to make, make it clear to the administration that these visas need to be released 
on a timely basis so that uh, employers have uh, an opportunity to uh, prepare for you know their workforce. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, it it's a it's a good 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 outcome, and um, like I said, we have additional support that we're pushing for this year. Um, on the regulatory side, uh, in 2019, we did have um, essentially a repeal of the 2015 Waters of the U.S. rule um, that was done under the Obama administration. That happened in September, so that was sort of uh, the first step in what is a two-step process to get to a new uh, Waters of the U.S. Uh, regulation. And essentially, what it does is define what is a you know under federal jurisdiction, what is a water of the U.S. Right. Um, so that rule was actually repealed. The 2015 rule was repealed in September, uh, like I said, which is the first stage. Um, and the second stage actually just happened last week. Um, so we're off to a good start in 2020. Uh, on the 23rd of January, uh, the Depart- uh, Environmental Protection Agency and the Army Corps of Engineers issued their final rule um, defining what is the water of the U.S. And um, that's a, a rule that the National Club Association and our uh, allies in the golf industry have supported. Um, so we're still taking a look at that. A look at that, but I think uh, from the cursory look I've been able to make so far, um, I think it's a it's a good uh, good step. Um, so we're supportive of that. Um, so, but the, like I said, the, in 2019, the 2015 rule was was repealed. Uh, we also got a final rule on the overtime threshold uh, from the Department of Labor that went into effect on January 1st of this year. And uh, that uh, that is taking the place of uh, another Obama administration rule that was vitiated by the courts and um, set that level at a much more reasonable $35,305 to determine that threshold for, you know, non-exempt or exempt employees. Of course, they still have to meet the duties test. um, that that wasn't changed, um, but it's certainly a, a much more reasonable level than the forty-seven thousand uh, dollar threshold that the, was set in the twenty fourteen rule. So right. um, that's sort of capping up um, some things that happened in twenty nineteen. Uh, again, I think uh, all in all, it was a pretty successful year. Um, we just had to uh, get through some of the preliminary stuff uh, in the beginning of the year, but things uh, really kind of picked up at the end. Yeah, it sounds like it. That, that's that's really good news. Uh, both of those, the WOTUS ruling and the uh, Department of Labor um, rules, there that 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 definitely sounds like it'll help some clubs out there. So, how about twenty twenty? What are you looking forward to here in twenty twenty? What are you guys focusing on at the NCA? Sure. Uh, well, you know, we really have uh, three items that we're looking at in twenty twenty. Um, one of which I mentioned already, which is the Waters of the U.S. The final rule, um, which again defines what is a water of the United States, what's under federal jurisdiction. Um, and that did come out last week. And as I said, we're, we're continuing to, to look at that. It's a pretty large rule, but um, um, the cursory look I, I took at, at the rule um, looks positive. So we're off to a good start. Um, in addition, um, the second thing we were looking for was a final rule on joint employer status from the Department of Labor. And, um, you know, this is a rule that sort of um, more clearly defines um, whether or not, um, you know, a contractor is actually, you know, a contract employee is actually considered um, uh, an employee. And um, that rule came out um, 
let's see, that came out uh, on January 12th, I believe, and that goes into effect on March 16th. So um, again, we're we're off to a good start in 2020 um, as far as the regulatory side and uh, as far as legislation. Um, one thing that we had talked about uh, last time we we got together was the uh, the FIT Act, the Personal Health Investment yeah. Today Act, and um, so we're looking to get that across the goal line this year. We weren't able to get it. Uh, quite there. Uh, last year, we, we did take some steps and, and uh, kind of ran it through the Senate to see if we there were any objections to it in what uh, is called the process of uh, hotlining a piece of legislation. And um, it, it just, we weren't able to get it completed in time. So, um, but uh, that being said, uh, we expect that there could be some healthcare-related uh, legislation that uh, the House and Senate consider in the spring, probably in the May to June um, timeframe, and uh, we'll be looking to uh, continue our success with the FIT Act, and uh, uh, happy to say that we have over 100 co-sponsors in the House, and um, I think around 20 or so in the Senate. So, you know, we're, we're, we're continuing to push it, and uh, hopefully we'll get it across the goal line uh, this year, and um, that would allow... Uh, just for, as a reminder, it would allow individuals with a health savings account to to use some of those funds uh, for fitness related activity or you know helping pay for their children's organized sports um, um, you know to help offset those costs. So uh, it's a good piece of legislation and really kind of helps shift some of our healthcare dollars away from only paying for sickness and and allow people to invest in their health. I love it. Yeah, it sounds like you're going to be uh, busy here again in in 2020 in the. I'm sure even more so in the decade ahead. So, um, yeah, it's it's a uh, we've got some ground to cover in 2020, and obviously, you know, with the elections coming up, um, you know, the, the election years tend to be sort of front loaded. Um, so we'll see how things play out. But um, yeah, we're 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 looking to continue to push for some good things for, for uh, the private club community. Yeah, we've got the Iowa caucuses coming up next Monday, and of course that just is the beginning of the election cycle. So what are some of the key races, or, or what should people be focused on uh, moving forward here? Yeah, well, the, you know, the, the the Iowa caucus, like you said, is coming up on Monday, and we have this weird situation, obviously, with um, four presidential candidates who are actually sitting senators that are um, now sort of locked up in the impeachment trial that's going on in the Senate. So that's creating a little bit of a um, uh, quirkiness to the to the race this year. But um, surprisingly, uh, you know, right now it looks like uh, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont is kind of surging in Iowa at this point, and and um, the, the polls that I've seen um, show him with about a three-point lead if you average out all the polls um, and, and, and continuing to, to um, gain support. And you look at folks like uh, Vice President Biden and um, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg and, and others, uh, Senator uh, Warren from Massachusetts, their support seems to be slipping a little bit. So, you know, um, it's an interesting race and it's interesting uh, circumstances. Um, but right now, if, if the polls are to be believed, um, it looks like uh, Senator Sanders could have a good day uh, next Monday. Of course, then we move on to New Hampshire the following week and uh, Senator Sanders has a lead there too. So, you know, I, it's a, it's a peculiar kind of situation. And, and, um, and then we move into South Carolina and Nevada. And I think um, Vice President Biden has leads in, in both of those states. But, you know, if Senator Sanders um, 
takes Iowa, takes New Hampshire. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see whether or not uh, Vice President Biden's support holds um, in in those states uh, coming up later. And then, of course, you have Super Tuesday coming up on March 3rd, I believe. And that's a, a group of 12 or 13 states, including Texas and California. So some big, big states coming up and um, folks are trying to get their get their momentum going uh, on the Democratic primary. So um, in short order, I think we'll have some some results that we can look at and maybe some trends that uh, that will start to develop here pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be uh, interesting 2020 for sure. Uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure it's only going to get uh, wilder and wilder as it, as it progresses. But thank you, Joe, so much for you know keeping an eye on all these things for us, updating us on what's going on and, and the work you guys do at the NCA to make sure that clubs are well represented and, and their interests are met in, in Washington, D.C., if folks want to well, thank uh, you very much. learn more about what the NCA is doing, get involved. I know you've got Club Pack and uh, some other ways that clubs can actually have their voice heard. What's the best way for them to reach out and, and get started with the NCA? Uh, well, you can certainly reach out to me. Um, you can go to our website um, and, and find our emails. But my email is trauger, T-R-A-U-G-E-R, at nationalclub.org. Um, happy to uh, get folks connected and, and be involved. Fantastic, Joe. I really appreciate your time this uh, morning and hope to talk to you very soon, sir. Thank you. Awesome stuff right there from Joe. Next up is my chat with Mike Johnson and Mike Statura of Golf Digest. The first thing I asked him was, what is the Golf Digest hot list and why does it matter? The hot list obviously comes out right now at the show. It's a very exciting time for us, but it's, I think it's a great time for golfers. It's a uh, uh, kind of the result of nine months of serious work. Uh, we've got panelists that are obviously golfers that are part of our team, but we've got PhD scientists that are part of our team, we've got the main retailers that are part of our team, and the, the main purpose of the hot list is really to get people educated about the new products, uh, to see what is uh, essentially raising the bar from a technology standpoint. I think it, it is, it is uh, in a lot of ways, Regardless of the category, it's the best year ever to find golf at the right golf clubs for you, and it's also the hardest year ever to find uh, the right golf clubs. What's hard for me is just differentiating one from the other. It almost seems like at this point it comes down to what your personal preference is in terms of brand, because they all have something amazing. Would I, is that a correct statement, or how do you no, guys see I, that? I would say absolutely not. I, okay. I think you're halfway there. All right. It's not what your personal preference is in terms of brand. It's what your personal game is. And I think to Mike's point about being the most difficult year maybe to find a driver, but the easiest year is we have nine drivers on the hot list this year, but there are 23 drivers within those nine families. So what that means is they're trying to design a driver specifically for a certain player type. And then the matter is, the difficult part is you have to figure out what player type you are and what driver that is for you. And most and, golfers are liars. And most golfers, well, they're not honest with themselves, that's for sure. But if you can be honest with yourself, what the hot list does, hopefully, is give you some guidance where you're reading through and saying, yeah, that sounds like me. Right. So this is a club maybe I'm interested in. And that's interesting that you say most golfers aren't honest with themselves. I think the beauty now, it doesn't matter whether you're honest with yourself or not because of the quality of fitters that are out there, because of the quality of measurement tools that are out there, 
you can lie all you want. The launch monitor tells you only the truth. It may not be pretty, but it's telling you, hey, this is where you were, and this is where, where new equipment could put you. And, and I think that, that equation is unlike anything in any level of consumer marketing or any kind of consumer product. I don't know if I'm going to buy the right refrigerator. There's no launch monitor for refrigerators or televisions or even cars. But I know that this driver is going to be eight yards better than my old driver because I just hit them side by side. So if I've done that, if I hit them side by side and I see that it's eight yards longer, then I have to decide, do I want to spend $500 for, for that eight yards? I do. Right. So. And it's not just drivers. I mean, it, it cascades down into irons. We have 55, 56 irons on the hot list this year. But if you know your player's iron, player's distance, game improvement, super game improvement, you've instantly narrowed that down to 12 or 13, and then you can kind of take it from there and make it a lot more manageable. Let's talk about what goes into the, the testing process. I mean, I, I can imagine you guys flying around the world. You've got a bag full of uh, every brand in there. Uh, but I'm probably wrong, so how does it actually work? No, no, no. Uh, I mean, we do see everything. I mean, we considered 243 clubs this year for the hot place. Wow. 248. Yep. So that's a lot of the clubs. Absolutely. And, you know, 131 made the list. But the process is really starts in earnest, maybe in April, early May. We start visiting manufacturers, and they are telling us all about the equipment that's here now. Sure. So we're brought into the process eight, nine months ahead of time, and we continue those conversations right through the fall, and then it culminates with our summit meeting, which is 13 days. This year it was at the Casablanca Resort in Mesquite, Nevada. That's where we meet with our academics, we meet with our retailers, then we have three and a half days of intense player testing wow. with our panelists, and then we kind of come back, throw it all in the blender, beat each other's brains out, <laughs> yelling at each other for two weeks. Uh, but literally every club is a debate, and it's four debates over wow. our four criteria. It's actually more intense than that, wow. I guarantee. It's more intense than that, and it, it really doesn't involve us hitting a lot of product. We have hit everything, but it's more getting a bunch of real golfers and the handicap range in our group is scratched to something in the 20s. Sure. And we're watching them hit every club. We've got an editor with every two players and they are literally asking questions of those players after they've made every swing. And we're saying, what's happening? What's How do you evaluate this club with respect to the others in the category? What do you like about the look of it? What's the sound and feel like? Is the trajectory this, that? It's a it's an interview with every player, with every player. Is that happening on the course? In, are there different playing conditions, or is it happening with launch monitors on a range? It's happening with launch monitors on a range, and obviously one of the Mesquite, Nevada, may not be a bastion of uh, beauty out there, but what it does have is impeccable weather, yeah. impeccable turf conditions on the range. Yep. You know, what you don't want is somewhere where it's cold, where it's wet, where it's windy. Right. You need test conditions where you are very easily able to discern differences because quite frankly in many cases the differences are small. Yeah. What were some of the biggest surprises for you this year? Big big surprise I think uh, you know obviously I think we're always surprised when the big companies when Callaway and TaylorMade are fundamentally changing possibilities. You know, whether it's what Sim is doing, TaylorMade Sim is doing with aerodynamics, what Callaway is doing 
uh, with artificial intelligence and, and how faces are designed. Those are leaps and bounds beyond what we thought. Obviously, the, some of the products that have, that have done really well, perhaps surprisingly to some, but not to us. Uh, the Cobra Speed Zone family of uh, Metal Woods, starting with the driver, is sure. really exceptional. Uh, I think what Mizuno is doing uh, with, with their driver lineup, the ST200, again, it's a family, so you right. have ST200, ST200G, ST200X. You're, again, fitting a broad range of golfers. Likewise, Titleist, again, in the driver category, having four options in the TS series. So you're essentially you can have a Titleist driver that is played by Adam Scott and a Titleist driver that's played by your grandmother. Yeah, and for me it was uh, I looked at the Super Game Improvement category in irons, which over time has really shriveled to one of our smallest categories. And this year there seemed to be a renewed interest in that, and a renewed effort by the manufacturers to cater to that group that really needs some help and. You know, the all hybrid sets, whether it be the Cobra T-Rail, the Wilson Launchpad, the Cleveland, you know, Launcher HB Turbo, or the Tour Edge, you know, HL4 Triple Combo, these are sets that not only really help that group, but I mean, we try them out too, and they're remarkably easy to hit for everybody. I mean, they really help get the ball in the air, they really help mitigate the fat shots, and there are a lot of people out there that both of those, that's an issue. Sure. What uh, gets you most excited about um, just what's coming down the pipe, uh, 2020 and beyond? Hmm. I, I, what's exciting to me is that a lot of the technology, like I said, is, is specific and very golfer focused. But I think we're, we're working on ways to get the golfer to more consistently deliver the club head. If it's something like I've lost club head speed, we're seeing you know shafts that are 40 grams or less. Okay. Someone 35 yesterday at demo day. I couldn't yeah. believe it. No kidding. So I mean that that's that is a you know 60% drop off in the waist right. in the weight of a shaft, yeah. and that frees you up to do different things with the head. I think you know we're getting to the point where we're going to analyze what's wrong with you, and there will be a product immediately that will change change your ball right. from this to that. Right. And, and all of a sudden, the whole point of improvements in technology is not to just say, okay, well, we got you five more yards. We got you wanting to play golf. Right. And I think that's where, where we're seeing the improvement because we haven't just improved the collision, we've improved the way you deliver the play. Yeah, I think what excites me is that I don't know what's coming next. <laughs> sure. uh, you know, three years ago, I wouldn't have thought AI would be used in golf equipment, and it is, right? Uh, you know, I always go back to a conversation I had 10, 15 years ago with the head of R&D at one of the big companies, and I said, hey, COR in the center is pretty much done. You got there, so, you know, you're done, right? right. And he got out his pen, he drew a club in, and he put a million dots all over the face. And he said, when I get the face to behave the same on all those dots, that's when I'm done. Wow. And I think what's exciting is we're seeing the beginnings of that, mm -hmm. and what's to come, I think, will eventually get there somehow, wow. some way, because while design improves, so does manufacturing, sure. so does the discovery of materials that we've never thought of right. to be used in golf, and once they discover all that and find a way to make it, that's when the leaps and bounds occur.
Well, gentlemen, I enjoyed this immensely learning from you guys. I can't wait to take a look at that list. Just came out here at the PGA show, and uh, it's going to be out, off to the world here pretty soon. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Mike. Enjoy it. Thanks. 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 Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week on Private Club Radio. I'll catch you back next week. And until then, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Concert Golf Partners, helping to preserve and enhance private golf and country clubs. Visit ConcertGolfPartners.com to learn more about the recapitalization process.